One final time this week here in the fast lane for myself filling in for Ed. He'll be back on Monday. Presumably, this man that is wrapping up our week, he also started our week, will be a part of covering the Commonwealth. That is David Cunningham from TechSideline.com. David, I appreciate you coming back on this week to talk a little bit more Hokies. We have uh, gone in-depth all week with some uh, Liberty Flames UVA, Virginia Tech uh, previews to get you ready for the football season, but I appreciate you coming back on to uh, finish what we started uh, at the beginning of the week. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, and it's been a very chaotic week across the college football landscape. Glad we get to uh, glad we get to to wrap up the week together. Appreciate you having me on. Of course, and yeah, let's let's talk about that. Uh, obviously, uh, let let's start. Uh, with the inside the ACC and Florida State, and they had a had a meeting and essentially have kind of gotten to the point where uh, they are going to uh, explore their option. I mean, I don't even know how to phrase it. Like they're basically trying to bat their eyes at other conferences to get out of the ACC without saying they want to get out of the ACC. What was your reaction to that whole like Florida State situation? Well, I think the big thing is, and, and there have been, I should say, a number of, of really good stories that have come out about this over the past couple of days, people putting this into perspective of, of what Florida State is doing right now. Uh, Brett Freelander, uh, who covers the ACC for Saturday Road, I believe, um, he, he wrote a really good column about it the other day where he compared – Florida State to a crying child, and he compared the ACC to a mother taking her child around the store, and they get to you know the end of the store, and the child starts crying and breaking down and saying, "I want candy, I'm you know I want this, I want that," and the mother has two options: she can either give into it or just completely ignore it, and you're seeing this exact same thing play out with Florida State and the ACC. Florida State spends, I believe, more money than anybody else in the conference because it has a lot of sports. But it hasn't been that successful across the board, especially in football and men's basketball, as of late. Yes, the Seminoles are getting a lot better. But the Florida State Board of Trustees comes out and says, well, we're exploring options essentially and it's not of it's not a when or it's sorry it's not if the grant of rights will hold us back it's a when and everybody else in the ACC sitting there going okay then leave like like it's it's it I think it's really hysterical to be honest because this is a, a a Florida State athletic program that has not necessarily managed its money well in the past, but it's not like the Knolls are having success across the board and winning a ton of national championships. But the Florida State Athletic Department says that it needs more revenue, and it can't get that in the ACC. Well, I, I think it, when you look at it from the big picture, it's really Florida State just trying to, to stir everything up, to stir the pot up. And if I'm another school in the ACC, I'm just looking at it and kind of laughing because, sure, Florida State could say, oh, we have, you know, Florida State's been able to say we have options and, and 
we will, you know, it, 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 it's a matter of if not or when not if. Um, well, Florida State ha- would have to pay a $120 million exit fee and wouldn't have its television rights for home football games um, and all, all other home athletic sports for the next 13 years through when Grant rights runs out in 2036. So it's a very complicated thing. And Florida State, I think, is just trying to stir the pot and, and get its fan base to kind of get pissed off a little bit. And I think it, it worked a little bit. But I also think the people around the ACC, the reporters and the rest, the rest of the media, the people at the athletic departments out of Virginia or at Virginia Tech, they're probably looking at this going, okay, who cares? Like, like I don't think a lot of people are really taking FSU seriously about this. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, it, it's kind of funny to see FSU kind of rattle rattle the cage uh, when it comes to this because there's kind of nothing they can do. As you, as you mentioned, uh, the great I, I kind of said, and I said this before uh, uh, we we went live on the air, uh, I said to you, uh, you know, in, in the commercial break, I said, the grant of the rights is kind of the the best and worst thing for the ACC, and uh, it, it is very true. But obviously, the big news today is that the Big Ten is expected to move ahead with the formal offer to Oregon and Washington. So it appears that Oregon and Washington are set to join the Big Ten. Uh, Arizona joins the Big 12 with Arizona State and Utah showing interest, as Brett McMurphy is reporting. Uh Overall college expansion, the death of the Pac-12, it appears. What What are your 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 thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's this is the this is kind of the what the the same. I guess this is a trickle down effect, I should say, from Texas and Oklahoma, from what happened two years ago, and then USC UCLA last year. This is just trickle-down effect, right? The Pac-12 is is disbanding, essentially. It's going to happen sooner or later. The only thing that's really keeping the ACC together is the grant of rights, which we just talked about. Uh, yeah, the Pac-12 is going to be no more, I think, uh, eventually. And it, it was really interesting because in the last 24 hours, it went from Arizona – and might go over the Big 12 and Oregon and Washington are going to leave to the Pac-12 presidents held a last-ditch effort, uh, uh, a meeting to get everybody to try to sign a grant of rights and bring everybody together. And it didn't go through. And then within the last couple hours, uh, multiple people have reported that the Big 10 is officially extending an offer to, Arizona, or to Oregon and Washington. So it's very chaotic. It changes minute to minute. Um, honestly, but I think it's just kind of the landscape of college football now. And again, the only thing keeping the ACC together is the grain of rights, which is, has its positives and negatives. But it, I'm honestly disappointed. It, it seems it's kind of sad where where the sport has come to, and just as you know, all of these West Coast conferences are essentially just going to disband because. They can't make enough money, and no, everybody wants to compete with the big boys you know, over in the SEC in the in the Big Ten. So it's kind of disappointing. You know, I think back to the craziness of like the 2007 college football season, and man, 
we're never going to, I just don't think we're ever going to get, get something like that again. And uh, I think that's kind of what makes college sports special is just the craziness of it and, and the rivalries and everything. And if, if Arizona state, I assume Arizona state will probably, and Utah will probably go join Arizona and Colorado in the big 12. But um, what happens to the Washington, Washington state rivalry? What happens to Oregon, Oregon state? Uh, just, that's what college athletics is is built on, and it, it'd be really sad to see him go. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, those are two kind of underrated rivalries uh, in the sport, but it's it's still you know the Apple Cup is awesome. The I I can, you know we're not allowed to say the former name of Oregon Oregon State at this point, but uh, you know that rivalry is is great. But let let's let's start. Uh, let's move to just this season. Let's stop looking at the big picture. And earlier this week, you can check it out on the Fast Lane with Ed Lane podcast feed or our SoundCloud page. We previewed the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you got to talk. Uh, we talked a little bit about the quarterback battle heading into camp and and those things and the improved pass catching. But we're going to talk a little defense. But uh, Year two under Brent Pry, and we didn't really uh, go over this on on Monday. Uh, what what are where do you think the expectations are for this team? Or do you think it's reasonable to expect? Obviously, three and eight is a you know is not what they want. But is it reasonable to expect that this team should at least make it back to bowl eligibility? I think it is a yes, a semi reasonable expectation that the Hokies make it to a bowl game this year. I don't think that's out of the question at all. Um, I, I do think it's pretty interesting just the way the schedule plays out. You, you could convince me that the Hokies are going to win six games, but you could also con- convince me the Hokies are going to win four. It's, but, but I will say that, that Brent Pry, as he starts year two, is in a much better position than he was in year one. Uh, Trey, I don't know if you you and Ed heard the comment that he made down at ACC Media Days in Charlotte, but he said that he believes that the roster he took over at Virginia Tech last season had worse talent on it than when he and James Franklin took over Vanderbilt back in the early 2010s, which is just a crazy thought. Um that's kind of where Virginia Tech is. It, now the Hokies, you know, recently they're on a roll on the recruiting trail. They're making progress. Uh, they, they've got a lot more talent in, in there. That's a, that's a positive. Can they win games? I, I think Tech will win five. I, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably put money on five and seven, which um, kind of sounds like a bummer, like I'm, like I'm being uh, negative Nancy over here. Um Tech should have won, probably would have won four games had Tech and UVA played last year. Five games isn't necessarily a huge improvement. What I will say, though, is that the the beginning of the schedule, really, those, those four non-conference games, Old Dominion, uh, Purdue, Rutgers, Marshall, those four games I think will really decide the majority of the season and how Tech's season goes. But I do think there's a lot of reason for promise. The Hokies have brought in a lot more, ta- you know, plenty of talented guys. Um, a lot of wide receivers, uh, Daquan Felton, Allie Jennings, Jalen Lane, Bayshall Tootin at running back, Darren Canteen at cornerback. 
Stone Snyder's a transfer in from uh, from VMI at linebacker. There, there, there's better talent in the program, and that's good. I think it's going to translate to winning games. How many is going to be, you know, to be determined. But I do feel like the Hokies are in a better position. And and to the the end question you asked, I do feel like uh, getting to a bowl game is possible for Virginia Tech. I do think it's possible. We'll kind of see how everything plays out, but it would not shock me if it happened simply because the program, I think, is that much better. Is it a six-win team this year? Maybe that's one year down the road, but we'll see. Moving now on to looking at this defense, uh, a defense that improved throughout the year. Uh, It started the year with Brent Pry calling the defensive plays, and then eventually... Chris Marv took it over, and now we'll have full-time play-calling duties. Where have What was the improvement on the defense last year? Obviously, ending the year against Liberty in that win uh, kind of set them off. That was kind of the, the showcase, you know, the first game Chris Marv called on the defensive side and was a, a, a defensive showcase for them. But w- where have you seen this defense improve, particularly at the end of last season and now coming into this season? Well, I think the Hokies really upgraded, again, a lot of positions. Um, my biggest question, I'll put it this way, is is up front uh, at defensive end. Can the Hokies get after the quarterback and do a great job of it last year? But all of the linebackers, they've got some talented linebackers in the program, and everybody's got a year under their belt. And is it, I, I tell you this, Virginia Tech's trio of cornerbacks, I think, is one of the best in the ACC. Monsoor Delane was a true freshman last year, and he had a really good season. Dorian Strong only played in four games because he broke his hand. Derek Cantine transferred in from Georgia Southern. I think that trio, and as we saw in our first opportunity to view Virginia Tech Open practice yesterday on Thursday, they're going to use some of those guys, Cantine and and Delane, in, in a little bit of a nickel package. Uh, mix things up and, and get those guys in uh, all on the field at the same time. I think this is a really good secondary, um, especially at corner. And I think that's kind of what the Hokies are going to rely on this year. I also think Tech brings back uh, Josh Fuga, Norell Pollard, and Mario Kendricks at defensive tackle. I think that's a strength. I think the linebackers are better and there's more depth there. Uh, I think overall it's a better defense from a defense that wasn't necessarily terrible last year. I think they, it was just on the field too much because the offense couldn't do much. So if I, I think I have pretty high expectations for the defense. My biggest concern, again, is the pass rushing and can the Hokies get after the quarterback. But that secondary is pretty strong, especially um, as a starter, you know, with the starters. I'm a little – Concerned about uh, the the safety depth uh, behind Nasir Peebles and Jalen Stroman, the two starters. But outside of that, it it is a really strong defense from top to bottom. Uh, And I'm really curious to see how everything plays out. And and in year two under Brent, uh, you know, in this Brent Pry defense, Chris Marv now has full control. Brent Pry, I think, is going to be a better head coach. As a result, uh, he has less. He has obviously still a lot on his plate, but doesn't have play call duties anymore. Um, I think that's going to help free him up, and I think we're going to get to see some Chris Marv 
creativity. And I think that's that's going to be really interesting to watch unfold because, like you said, he's only called one game, and that was the Liberty win at the end of last season. Yeah, before we get to the defensive line, which I really want to touch on the transfers and stuff, and, and that has kind of been a theme throughout this team, is the, the roster turnover that has happened this year with, you know, the influx of, you know, high school players and transfers. You could argue the best, quote-unquote, roster move Virginia Tech made was making sure they kept Monsor Delane on their team, who was a breakout star as a true freshman. How big of it was to keep that guy on this roster in an age where, you know, a lot of cases you see Delane hop into the transfer portal and I don't want to say take a step up, but head to maybe a, a, a program that is in a better shape to compete for, you know, a conference title or, or you know, just, you know, take that next step above. Yeah, I think it's huge. You have to be competitive. And I think that's why NIL is such a big deal. Um, the Hokies are, are competitive in NIL, and they have been. Um, but to, but but there's more than just NIL. And to be able to retain Delane, um, Brent Pry talked about it a little bit. Um, didn't mention Delane specifically, but that there have been players that, that have – there was one or two players that were kind of approached by other schools and that said, Hey, you know, on the roster, they hadn't entered the portal. And they basically said, uh, Hey, we, we'd like you to come play for us. And the player went and told Brent Pry and the coaches and Brent Pry's like, well, do you want to be in Blacksburg? Do you like being at Virginia tech? Do you want to play for us? And they're like, yes. And I think, I think Brent Pry is a very honest guy, and I feel like the relationships the staff has built, especially with a guy like Monsieur Delane, who is really the future of this program, that's how you get better. You continue to build on those relationships. Though he had lost Monsieur Delane, it, it would have it hurt. Uh, he's, he had such a good breakout season last year. Um, but, but I do think that you know, keeping him, everything went right in that process. Um, and now you've got kind of three cornerbacks that are going to be around for at least another year or two, um, if not longer. The Hokies are still trying to recruit his brother, Fahim Delane, in the 2025 class. Um, I think Brent Pry has done a really good job as far as retaining the right types of players. And you, you touched on this. Do you do you believe the secondary is the strength of this defense? Uh, I know looking at Andy Bitter's notes on TechSideline.com yesterday, uh Jalen Jones made a couple of plays out there. Obviously, Dorian Strong brings a lot of experience into the group. Uh, are you? Are you? Is your expectation? You know, this defense might look similar to to you know defenses of the past with a a very deep and very versatile secondary. Yeah, I think so. I'm one of my biggest things I'm interested to see um, is how Jalen Jones continues to develop throughout fall camp. And Mose Phillips, he's a he's a true freshman that is probably going to end up being in the two deep at safety. But, yes, I, I think it's exactly that. I think the Hokies' strength is, is their secondary. Um, they've got a lot of really talented guys back there um, that, that can play different positions. Um, Monsoor Delane, Derek Canteen both played a little bit of safety yesterday, a little bit of nickel. The coach is just kind of moving them around, seeing where um, what, what they like and dislike. But, um, but I think 
I think that that group is in such a good position. Derek Jones and Pearson Prelude are, are two really good coaches for the Hokies. They've recruited well there. There's a lot of young talent in there. Uh, I think everything is is on the right track um, for the Hokies in the secondary, and and that is really, I think, going to be a position group that they kind of rely on a lot this season. Let's talk about the defensive line. They have uh, a few, a couple transfers in there, and then obviously um, this was a group that is expected to have more production this year. You touched on it. Um, talk about the defensive line, and if there's anyone that kind of is, has uh, popped out to you so far. Yeah, well, I think the uh, um, the Hokies brought in Antoine Powell Ryland, I think. Um, it, it, that that is kind of the the big storyline from um, from the fall. Um, he came in from Florida. He's a, a really talented defensive end. Uh, he really kind of excelled towards the end of last season. I'm excited to see what he can do uh, if he can get out after the quarterback more. Again, like I said earlier, Pollard and Kendricks and Fuga are all back at defensive tackle. The Hokies are. That's going, that was a strength of the Hokies last year. It'll be a strength of the Hokies this year. They're not necessarily pass rushing tight ends. Uh, or, sorry, pass rushing defensive tackles. Um, but I do think they're really, really talented, and they're going to hold down the fort. I'm very curious to see what happens behind them. The guys in the in the second and third string that um, that need to come along because Fuga and Pollard and Kendricks only have one one or two seasons left. Before they graduate, you know, the, the kind of the next wave of the Virginia Tech defensive tackles. Um, but I do think the Hokies are in a good position there, and I, I'm I think on the other side, opposite of Powell Ryland, is where I have my questions. Cole Nelson, C.J. McCray are the two guys that had an impact last year with Taiwan Garbett. Garbett's obviously gone. Um, how do the Hokies get pressure? And it, it has to be more than just Powell Ryland, and I don't know if how well that's going to go. What I will say is this. I think Virginia Tech and Chris Marv are going to be really, really smart, really, really good about how they get pressure from other areas, and I think that kind of helps, helps offset, um, offset any weaknesses, so to speak, you might have up front. I would really like to see somebody else emerge alongside Antoine Powell Ryland as a big threat for the for the Hokies at, at defensive end. But I think it's an all right. It's a it's an area where you know between tackle and end, I think it's an area where the Hokies are are pretty comfortable right now. Though they'd like to see maybe a little bit more depth. And as uh, we try to wrap up here uh, on the fast lane, few minutes left before. Uh the top of the hour we're here with david cunningham at the real d on on twitter he is the managing editor for techsideline.com uh david uh the linebacking core is most importantly you know looking at this this is a, a position that brent pry has prided himself on back at his time at penn state i have those expectations now he's head coach of virginia tech the big thing with it is the leadership void. Obviously, no Dax Hollyfield. He has used his eligibility up. Uh, what are your expectations for this linebacking group that is, you know, not only replacing, have to replace a lot of production, but ultimately having to replace, you know, that that kind of big leadership void on the defense? Yeah, 
Well, I think it's a great room. I think the Hokies have made a lot of progress in that room with the, the young guys that were in there last year. They've grown more. They also brought in Stone Snyder from VMI, uh, who, who had a really successful career there and has one season left. I think it's, it's in a good spot. Kelly Lawson will start at will. That, that's how it will likely go. Um, Keontha Jenkins will likely be the starter at Sam. Uh, those guys are, are really, really experienced now. Um, and they're both very athletic and very talented. And then I think the big question comes down to Mike. Uh, at the whole, he's kind of have a big question mark there. Jaden Keller played well at Mike in the spring. Does he still um, get that shot to be the starter? He was practicing and getting the number one reps when we saw practice on Thursday. How does Jaden McDonald factor into that situation? Uh, I think there are a lot of different question marks for the Hokies at linebacker, and it's all at Mike. And it's really how the how in the world do you rotate the guys? How do you figure out who the number one guy is? But uh, there's a lot of talent there, and I think the Hokies now feel comfortable um, with the group that they have in that room. David Cunningham from TechSideline.com. My man, thank you for bookending this week for me. Uh, I appreciate it. Preview in the Hokies. Uh, as we gear up for the season, of course, you can catch every game for Virginia Tech right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg, 93.3 FM, VTR in Southside, 106.3 FM, and of course, the VTR in CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Uh, Youngblood DC, how can our uh, our listeners connect with you? Go to TechSideline.com. Become a subscriber today. You can also follow us on tech, at TechSideline on on social media, I'm at the real Decona, as Trey said on Twitter. Fall camp is underway, man. I'm excited. Uh, we we if you go on wherever you get your podcast or to go to YouTube, you can search Tech Sideline Podcast. Um, me and two of our colleagues we recorded a uh, we recorded a podcast the other day, just previewing fall camp, and we'll have another one next week uh, as fall camp gets underway. We have media day on Tuesday. So lots of, lots of good storylines coming out of fall camp. I think the Hokies again are in a good position. How many wins does that equate to this year? We'll see. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. They could be a better team, but the record could remain the same with kind of how the schedule sets up. David, I appreciate you for hopping on this week. You have a, you have a good weekend. Thanks. You too, man. That will do it for this fast lane for this week. Want to thank Ty for all his help throughout the week as well. Ed will be back on Monday. Y'all have a great week as well. Thank you so much for listening to Fast Lane all week with me filling in for Ed right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg. Now it's time to go live to the Zach Gelb Show. <laughs>